everybody and welcome to taking control the adhd podcast on true story fm i'm pete wright and over there it's sicky kinzer <laughs> still still <laughs> hello you poor thing oh i'm so good it's so good to see you i've been worried about you i've been thinking about you uh you you look great you sound great uh if just a little bit under the but not nearly as under the weather as you sounded last time no. that was an that was a real i've turned a corner uh, yeoman's effort yeah you really you, you did great uh we are here it is April. We are uh, excited to be here. We are talking about imposter syndrome today. And uh, so, I I don't know, I've been hyper-focusing on imposter syndrome all morning as we got ready for this show. Uh, and I can't believe anything that comes out of my mouth anymore. I don't know what the truth is. Are you still a podcaster? Is. <laughs> I'm still a podcaster? Nope. Not a very Not good anymore. one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. oh, Mallory Band is here. She's going to talk to us. She's actually an executive function coach. So it, it it's very much like she's, she's dealing with a certain subset of behavior, neurological processing that I think is, is super useful. And uh, so I think her perspective will be great. We've got a couple of links in the show notes of some articles she's written recently on imposter syndrome. So make sure to check those out. Before we get started, head over to TakeControlADHD.com to get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the mailing list, and we'll send you an email each time a new episode is released. You can connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at TakeControlADHD. And as always, if the show has ever touched you, head over to Patreon.com slash The ADHD Podcast and learn about how you can become a member of this show community today. We've got all kinds of different things available at all kinds of different tiers. Most uh, uh, pertinent to us right now, we're starting a new month. That means happy hour is the first week of the month. Then we have uh, uh, coffee with Pete at the platinum level. Uh, we've got a, that's coming up on Friday. Uh, we've got uh, uh, coaching with Nikki is coming up toward the end of the month for again, platinum folks. Uh, happy hour is at the Supreme level. There's just all kinds of things at all kinds of levels and you should check it out. Patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. But guess what? Something's what? been added. What? The accountability anchor accountability anchor oh that's my favorite bit of new branding yes so uh we are getting started asap like in like as you're listening to this podcast going live accountability anchor is going to be going on like it's so what is accountability anchor it's going to be the the platinum level and Mm -hmm. uh what it's going to be is we are offering uh three different times of uh accountability Study halls is basically what it's going to be, but we're going to call it accountability anchors, otherwise kind of known as AA in a different way than what you might know AA to be. <laughs> we're rebranding AA? Well, it you know, M- Melissa and I talked about this and we're like, this is a support. Uh-huh. It is to help people in the community get things done. And it's a group. And so we're, it's accountability anchor. That's what it is. We're anchoring your accountability. And there's going to be options on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And we're still going to do Thursday afternoons with me. That's going to be kind of an open house where you can come in and out. We're going to have all of these details on our website. And uh, it's a fabulous new thing that we're doing. And it's going to just keep evolving because we're going to match people up with with accountability partners and we've got so many great ideas 
and we need you to be part of it. So if you are looking for accountability and a group for support to get things done, check out the Platinum Level. You get all of those other things that Pete was talking about, but you also get accountability anchors. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you my favorite thing about accountability anchors? Uh-huh. Do you know my favorite thing about accountability anchors? I have anchors? no idea what it is. It's tell the me. name of our Discord accountability rooms. Right, we have, we have special meeting rooms. Uh, video, audio video channels in Discord in a new accountability anchor section that will go live uh, as very soon. And the rooms are named, well, you just have to see if they sound familiar. One, Cafe Tropical. Two, Monk's Cafe. And three, Central Perk. And so we're going to be referring to our little gathering rooms when you get assigned to rooms and partners you'll meet in Central Perk or Cafe Tropical or Monk's Cafe. And I get a giggle every time. I know. I, I so. Well, and I've been listening or not listening. I've been watching Schitt's Creek at night mm -hmm. before I go to bed. And oh my gosh, Cafe Tropicana. I'm going to be it's, there. It's right there. Is it's that right how you there. say it? Tropicana? Cafe, tropical. Tropical. Cafe Tropical. Cafe Tropical. With David. Yeah. David. Oh. oh. David. <laughs> okay. Let's get started, huh? Mallory. Okay. Mallory Band is here to talk to us about imposter syndrome. Mallory is a, an executive function coach, and uh, she uh, works with uh, folks specifically around these issues and came to our attention because she uh, actually uh, wrote an article on this and it, it got Melissa's attention, who got our attention and said, we need to talk to Mallory about this stuff. Uh, it currently is uh, working at Essig Education Group. Mallory, welcome to the ADHD podcast. Thank you so much for, for that great introduction and for having me. I'm really excited um, just to sort of speak and share my own personal experiences. I'm sure we'll, once we get into this, um, we'll, we'll just take a, a deeper dive, but I will just sort of start off by saying that obviously everything that I'm speaking about is coming from my own personal experience. And um, I think it's pretty I think people listening to this probably understand, but you know, my experiences may not align completely with yours and it's not a one size fits all. Um, but I'm hoping that, you know, you can take pieces from this or, or just feel validated, seen, heard um, in any type of way. And I'm hoping, you know, I can provide you with some little nuggets to take with you and just realize that, you know, we're in this together and it's tough, but right. this is life and, and we're working on it. It's a work in progress. I love that. So I know that, that Pete introduced you as an executive function coach. Now, is that the same thing as an ADHD coach or is it different? You know, according to some people, it could be, you know, we could use those labels as yes, they're two in the same. Um, I would not say that everyone I work with has ADHD. I would say roughly the majority, you know, do have ADHD. Um, but I am working with a, a wide range of of individuals from middle school through high school, um, and and then some you know college age and, and and young adults as well. So I think that yes, like I said, the majority of people do have ADHD, but a lot of it for some of the school aged kids is it's very multifaceted. It's it's sort of twofold in that we are looking at you know different systems and processes that they 
typically don't have that we want to create for them so that they can become sort of the end goal is usually how can we help this individual become more independent and self-reliant and confident. So yes, that does involve like they need to get their homework done. They need to know how to study. But is that the main purpose of like, let's get straight A's? No, I really don't care about grades. I know some parents are like, yes, you have to do this. And okay, that's fine. Um, But sort of my philosophy is really, let's figure out these systems now so we can help you be successful throughout you know, your academic career, but really how do, how do you become successful in the 21st century workforce? And how can you become an independent person who, who can provide, you know, your expertise in whatever area you want to pursue? So I would say, long answer short, um, you know, not everyone I work with does have ADHD, but the majority of uh, my clients do. Um, but we really do work on a lot of these executive functions skills, such as like, how do you initiate a task? If you're someone who procrastinates things, just saying, just do it, that doesn't work, right? And how do you follow through? A lot of the times with some of the school-age kids, it's they do the homework, but why does it say missing on Google Classroom? We didn't execute the final step. So really practicing a lot of these steps and they will, you know, mirror in real life. They were sort of transfer um, into real life. And that's sort of my philosophy is, yes, we need to get through school. And for some people, school is just, it's not the end all be all. And I think that's a really important message. There's not just one path to be successful. And I know that was not even your question, um, but sort of just thinking about sort of the the broad scheme of, of where I'm coming from. No, I think that's a really good point because I, you know, especially I work with a lot of college students and especially when you brought up the grades, because uh, I'll tell parents when they first come to me, you know, we're just getting the degree. (laughs) Like, let's just focus on getting the degree. And it's okay if it's um, five, six years, right? It doesn't have to be in four years. And I love what you're saying. It doesn't have to be college either. It can be a a different way of, of learning. You can, you can, what's so important is you find your passion and you find something that you love doing and, and what's the path to, 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 to getting there is, is really what's important, whether that's a formal education or trade school or, you know, get an experience, work experience. Isn't that, isn't that an interesting uh, transition into imposter syndrome, Nikki, that you have (laughs) just painted for us? That's so brilliant because, you know, for, for me, uh, you know, when I see people who are, who feel there is one side of the imposter syndrome coin, which is I feel like an imposter because I'm I'm doing this thing and I shouldn't be here for some reason. I shouldn't be here, but the I don't other have the side degree is, or the yeah, experience or right, yeah, right. And and the other side of it is that uh, you know I uh, I'm falling short of the world's expectations of me, therefore, I don't belong here, right? If if I can't get the degree in four years, like culture and human, you know, modern human expectations, uh, academic expectations uh, would tell me, then I certainly don't belong here. And, and so I, I feel like I, uh, I'm living the dream on both of those fronts in so <laughs> many ways. Uh, so this is, this is what I love about this. The article that, that uh, Mallory wrote was, was uh, in Attitude Magazine, link in the show notes, was called How My Imposter Syndrome Sapped Me of Myself. My goodness, that hit me right in the chest, right in the chest, like that hollow there. It just felt like that was about as, as clear a, a message and an image as I've ever heard related to this 
subject. Tell us, please, Mallory, what does imposter syndrome mean for you? Yeah, you know, I think I'll sort of start off by describing, you know, not a specific anecdote, but just something I remember literally as young as kindergarten, where I just, I felt like there was this enormous pressure put on me um, that I had to be perfect. And quite literally, I didn't realize that those were my own expectations until, I don't know, two years ago, this year, like I really sort of, as I, as I started doing a deeper dive um, in grad school with some special education work, and, and as I got into sort of this career shift from the main classroom into um, more of a focus on executive function and ADHD and, and some learning differences, I, I started to really get a handle on, oh my goodness, I sort of can label, like I mentioned sort of before we were talking the show, I can label that imposter syndrome and and some of these things were defining sort of the path in which I was, it was growing up in. And I think it was like, I never felt like good enough if it was a 99, even if it's in a first grade spelling test, it's like, well, you know, looking back and say, okay, well, that impacts me in 0% of my life. Like I still am not a great speller and that's okay. I'm, I still think I'm pretty smart. Um, and I think just feeling super insecure in my own skin because I, I would get frustrated with myself that I couldn't, I didn't know that something was different. You know, I, I would have these huge emotions and meltdowns and get really frustrated when I was young, but I, I would get frustrated at my parents, but it was really me getting frustrated at myself because I didn't understand why everything took so long, why I couldn't do X, Y, and Z. But I think an important message sort of around this is, we don't really see what's going on behind closed doors and we, you know, with our peers' lives when it comes to homework or how they're functioning. And they might present themselves one way at school and a different way at home. And I think that's sort of where some of this, you know, might have ignited because I would think that everyone was perfect except for me. Why can't I do things like that? Um, and I think, you know, too, it's almost like imposter syndrome is almost like having this like feeling of paranoia where like I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop and something's always you know I'm, I'm feeling on edge like I have no reason to think that I made a mistake or that something's bad's gonna happen but that's just sort of the you know I'm, I'm comfortable and being uncomfortable in that way where that's sort of just you know how, how I sort of view myself so just sort of feeling like if it's not perfect the first time, then you are a failure and there's no point in, in proceeding. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, the super black and white rigid thinking that I, you know, that I do, that I'm really working on not doing anymore because it doesn't serve me um, and it doesn't help in any way. It's so true. It, well, and that is sort of where the stem of perfection is, is that that black and white thinking. I'm glad that you brought that up because it is something that we see so often with with ADHD years is if it's not perfect, it's not right. Or if it didn't have the outcome that you expected, it, then I did something wrong. It was it's it's my fault. If yeah. it's not perfect, it's not worth doing. That is a that's a really damaging uh, mental model for me. Always has been. Yeah. And I, and I think with that too, you know, come sort of comes hand in hand with the rejection sensitive dysphoria of, for me, particularly it's, it's getting feedback. And anytime there's feedback, it's, 
I don't belong. If, if someone's saying something's not perfect, then I've completely messed up or missed the mark, you know, wholeheartedly. And I think that's really challenging because it feels like I'm letting somebody down if it's not perfect. When in reality, a lot of these expectations are, are self-driven. And that's something I see a lot with the clients that I work with. Um, so it becomes really challenging to have move from a fixed to a growth mindset when we are feeling like we're imposters and feeling like we've always done something wrong. When in reality, you know, as a young adult, I'm learning this is life no matter what your plan is, things are going to keep happening. And we have to be able to adapt. That's sort of uh, some of the kryptonite that we can start to put in to kicking imposter syndrome to the curb is, is being adaptable and being receptive to feedback and thinking about what what is this saying to me? Can I take anything from this and use it to better myself? If not, great, then I'm just going to, okay, thank you, and then leave it. I don't always have to take feedback with me. And I think that's sort of, it all sort of boils down to becoming more confident in ourselves. The more you understand yourself, the way that your brain works, the it's not easy, but it's easier. You know, you're able to gain that sort of wherewithal to persevere and, and to begin that growth process. So there's something you said that really resonated with me that I want us to talk a little bit more about. You mentioned you don't have to take the feedback. So I'm curious what you, can you expand more on what that means and how that would relate to a client of yours? You know, it, so they, they, they're having an RSD moment, right? They're feeling really rejected. How, how could you use that? Definitely. So, you know, something that I'll see when I'm maybe let's just take like a high school student, for example, and we're working on, okay, how do we sort of, what are the steps we use to chunk, um, you know, a five paragraph essay, and, and how do we go through this? And, you know, I feel pretty comfortable, you know, writing five paragraph essays and writing, but you know, I will sort of tell them I've done high school, I don't need to, you know, if, if they're feeling like, I don't need to take your feedback, or I don't need to use this. That's okay. I, I would always say sort of, my idea is this, again, this is your writing, you need to own it, I can't put the pencil in your hand. If it were me, I might do X, Y, and Z. What do you think about that? How could you take that and tweak it to make your own, make it your own? And, you know, a lot of the times it's, we want to move really quickly to get the paper done. And I don't really care what the feedback is or that the student's not going to look at the teacher's feedback, but I think we can think about, okay, if I get a grade that I don't like, or that I'm not happy with, how can I use that in the future to sort of tweak things? So, how can we transfer this feedback? I might not have used it for this situation, but is there any way I could transfer it to a different situation? And I think, you know, being comfortable with just, you, you like, like I said, you don't have to take everybody's feedback for everything. I think it, we sort of live in a place where with social media and with everything, everybody has something to say. Somehow everybody's an expert on every single topic. I, I, and that's, I really appreciate you saying that. And that's why I think it resonated with me is that it goes back to that all or nothing, like, oh, well, if that's what they said, it must all be true. Like, <laughs> you know, but maybe, maybe you take the pieces that you can grow from it, but, but you may have a legitimate reason why you did something the way you did it. And that other person doesn't really understand. And so you can, you know, take 
the pieces that that are the growth piece. And yeah, and Pete, I know you're dying to say something. I'm dying to say <laughs> something because you're both coaches and I need help. And so, and I imagine I'm not alone because um, what both of you have, have said ably and and uh, clearly is we don't have to take all the all the negative stuff, the stuff that's ultimately damaging, etc. But I'm sitting here in this position listening to this thinking, okay, how? Because I know cognitively, I want to not take that stuff so much to heart. I know I want to stop doing that. But I am in a in a place of uh, just internalizing everything like it's a it's a muscle that is way overdeveloped for its utility. And and I end up taking it no matter what my internal voice says. Don't don't listen to that bad thing. Don't feel bad about that bad thing. Uh oh, I just listened to the bad thing and I'm feeling bad about that thing. Right. See, so I need as as coaches, I need you to help me, the ADHD uh, anxiety kid, with a practice on how I might get to the other side of it. Yeah, I I think that's a great question, and and I'll even sort of uh, connect this to a book that my brother gave me as someone who just like rumination is like if if I could I would be rich if that was a job because you know that is that <laughs> yeah. is what yeah is my, right. you know is all consuming, um, but I'm not. I don't want to say it because I, I don't want to butcher the name, but it was this Buddhist term. And, and essentially it's, you sort of catch yourself getting hooked into something that's not, whether it's feedback or just internal thoughts, because I think that it sort of goes hand in hand. It doesn't always have to be external feedback. It's also the your inter, internal voice that sort of leads to the rumination and the insecurities and the imposter syndrome. So something I've actually started to do is I will literally catch myself getting real hooked and reeled into something. And whether it's rumination, whether it's worrying about, oh gosh, that podcast I have to do is going to be horrible. I'm going to make a mistake. Whatever it is, stop, take some deep breaths. And then I let it go because I've wasted so much time in my life ruminating on things that most likely are never going to happen. It's a lot of irrational thoughts. And I think I'm truly just tired of doing the same the same rigmarole over and over again and I'm really missing out on things that are happening presently and and I don't want to I don't want to miss out on what's going on around me because I'm always either pulled in the past or in the future and that's just not not a great way to live and on top of that I know this sort of sounds maybe like granola-y but I think something for me that's really been helpful is having some mantras that I can really latch onto that have helped me think about my past successes. So if someone, you know, someone's giving me feedback of, you know, that doesn't feel good or that just like, that's not serving me. Can I think of a a similar situation or something that was parallel to this current situation? And how can I use that as a touchstone to realize, Ooh, that was really hard. What were the one or two three strategies I used to persevere and get through that. Because the crazy thing is, if you are living, you've gotten through every awful challenging day so far in your life. So it will pass. Nothing's going to last forever. And it is awful, like when you're in it, but looking back, that's so easy. But really understanding I can do hard things. How did I do that hard thing in the past? 
That oh, I love so it. And that, I, it is so good. If you good. are living, you've already made it through hard stuff. Oh, my God. You're here. You're alive. You're real, right? And, and I love that you're bringing us back into the moment. You're bringing us back into the present. And that's, you know, anxiety in itself is about the past and the future and, and everything that we're worried about that's already happened or is going to happen that we think is going to happen. And so, yeah, I love that you're going, having us go back into the, into the present. But this too shall pass. That is the mantra, right? Because I was when when I was listening to Pete talk, one of my thoughts immediately came to, when this happens, how do you feel tomorrow? How do how do you feel a week from when that happened? It's always different. It always feels different when a little bit of time has passed and where you can kind of step back and see, okay, what what do I need to take out of this and what can I leave because it's not serving me. And and I think that's where we go back to, I don't have to take all the feedback. I can leave some of that there too, because it's not. You you just said something that I think really st- stuck with me. And it's because I'm so bad at sports metaphors. Uh, but there there really is uh, something to just saying, okay, leave it on the field, right? Like leave it on the field. I took this in one context. And when I walk off the field and change context, I can practice not like stressing about this thing, right? Not thinking about this thing, not going over and over this thing in my mind, uh, you know, perseverating on those, those negative signals. That's, that's a practice, though. That's not a switch. Right. And I I don't think any of these are are switches. And I have like, my brain is going in a million directions. But a few things I think that um, with what you just said, it's that consistency compounds. So it's, you know, we didn't, get here in one day. We're definitely not going to get out of these habits. We're not going to unlearn these habits in one day. So if we got here and for me, if it's been 29 years, it may take hopefully not 29 years to unlearn these, but it's going to take some time to it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. And I think, um, you know, too, one of the things that I sort of mentioned in the article, and I think that you know, I say it feels weird to say this, but it really does resonate with me. It's something that I do try to share with others is that catch yourself being good, catch yourself progressing. Because I think with imposter syndrome, a lot of the time it feels good to be recognized by others and have to always, you know, want the need for reassurance from others because we are insecure and we don't have that confidence innately that other people might have. Um, so I think it's really like, can you catch yourself being good? And what is one thing today that went well? Not something, especially with some of the young adults I work with is literally at the end of the day, not just mentally, but I want you to say it to a spouse, a friend, a family member, or write it down. What were three things that actually went well today? Whether it's, you know, I was having this conversation yesterday, you got up at eight o'clock and you didn't snooze once. Excellent. That's something to feel proud of because that's part of the routine we've created that, you know, in order for you to be successful, you need to be getting up and getting moving and sticking to that routine. Or if it's like, for me, some of the things are, I didn't respond to that email last night impulsively. It feels uncomfortable to let it be, but like, you know, maybe that's, you know, yay, good job me because I didn't do that. And if I can do that one day and then another day, and then one, two, three days, that's already three days further than I would have been if I, if I kept going along the path that's not working. I think that's so simple, but so powerful. It's not easy, but it is simple to conceptualize. 
It's the awareness. It's, you know, what we're talking about is aware, you know, how, how we are becoming more aware of our feelings and being more in touch with them and then being able to do something with them. And, and I think that that is, you know, always sort of the beginning of change is when you're aware that something's happening and you can identify it, you can name it, you can even sit with it as it is for a while and then be able to think, okay, where is the opportunity? Where, where is the growth mindset, you know, that can come in? And I think along with that, we can just acknowledge that the growth and any changes, it's, they're going to be super uncomfortable. It's not going to feel good for quite some time. And I think if you can just understand and sort of lean into the, the, the discomfort, then you're definitely going to be able to run with it a little bit easier. Again, it's not going to be easy, but just acknowledging this is going to be hard. It's going to feel meh, not good for a while. Then that's going to really help you make some changes that you want to make. Because if we keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, you know, whatever that quote is, it's insanity. Nothing will change if we don't change. Can we talk a little bit about the mask? The mask that we wear that is the forward-facing sort of mental model of armor that we use while we're feeling terrible and the the conflict that exists uh, between what we're feeling about a thing that we're doing and what we are projecting about the thing that we're doing. That that conflict, I mean, I, I, it exists very deeply in in me, for sure. Uh, and I am I am sure that I am not alone because at least two people have already posted about it in the chat room. <laughs> uh, it, it is the I, it, it, I how does that that sort of internal conflict impact our our self-image and how we relate to the world around us. I think that, you know, masking is something that's super common in the, you know, ADHD community. And, you know, having myself having ADHD and anxiety, that's a that's a lot of fun. Um, so it's really, you know, it's <laughs> mask, really mask. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So I think something that for me is like I have always felt like if I need to be in control, I need to be able to anticipate what is coming next. And if I, if I don't, then sort of things become, I'm sort of pulled in two different directions. Externally, I can keep it together, but internally my mind is racing. I feel just awful. And I think one of the things that sort of has been helpful in terms of trying not to always be masking to fit in is just that relinquishing control where when you can't have it. And that is not a pleasant feeling. I think as someone who is very rigid and who has to follow a, you know, a very strict routine, but I think acknowledging just out loud, like you, you have to have a support system and be able to share with people of this feels uncomfortable. But if we hold everything in, then we're, you know, obviously what we're doing is we're internalizing it all of these negative feelings, these poor feelings about ourselves. And then it just sort of, it, it springs the wheels on um, the shame and guilt spiral. And, and it just sort of perpetuates, well, let's put on the mask. Let's put on a show so we can be seen as smart and confident and outgoing and growth mindset, you know, based at work, but at home, you know, having our spouse be the punching bag also, you know, or ourselves be the punching bag. It's, it's, it's a lose-lose situation. 
So I think being, trying to be confident in just the fact or, or just a, gaining awareness and understanding for yourself that this is who I am. This is the brain wiring that I have. It's not good, bad, or the other. It just is. And if people are going to not support you when sort of that mask comes off, then maybe that job isn't a great environment. Maybe we do need a different type of support system, right? Because that might not be serving you. That might be a really awful taste in your mouth to hear that and to have to make that type of change. But there's no reason for you to have to feel any type of way in an environment when you can't be, when you're already feeling insecure and second guessing yourself. So you shouldn't have to do that internally and ex like externally at the same time, simultaneously. So I think sort of just trying to be open about what's going on internally and see if you can create some type of connection between internal and external selves and, and with those around you, not just within yourself. Well, and, and one thing I would add is, is, uh, I, I love that you're talking about support too. And I think that being able to have a community or a support system that you can put that mask down and you're not being judged and you don't have to apologize or explain yourself and, um, and how important that, that is and, and, and how important it is to self-advocate for yourself. So when there is a situation that comes up and you need to be heard, that you speak, that you speak louder and you, uh, tell people what you need and, and, uh, cause you have a voice and it, and it needs to be heard. It should be heard, you know, absolutely. Is there a way to rationalize masking as a utility, as something that might be good for you? Can I answer that real quick, Mallory, before you do? Sure. Because I have a really good example, and I see it with my daughter. And um, and she she's 16, almost 17, and she was diagnosed with ADHD a, a few years ago when she was in middle school. And I think there are times where it serves her. And then I think there's probably times where it doesn't serve her. <laughs> um, but one, one of the things that I'm really proud of her, and I think that part of it is because we have such open conversations around ADHD, is that she's not embarrassed about it. She's not, a, she's, she's not ashamed to tell people she has ADHD. And she'll be the first to tell you, you know, why she does certain things, because it's how her brain works. Um, but I also think she protects herself in certain social situations. And I think that that's where it actually probably will serve her a little bit is that in the, and you know this Mallory, because you work with teenagers, they care so much about what other people think and how they are perceived. And so the, I think there are times where she will mask some of, some of her insecurities and it, it almost kind of, I don't want to say fake the confidence, but there is some there that she's masking, right? But then at other times it really served, you know, it really does serve her and at other times it doesn't. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I can see where it can kind of go both ways. I don't, Mallory, what do you think? Yeah, I, I love what you said. And I think that really goes way beyond the ADHD community, but just people in general, like if you were to say, 
you know, ask anybody with, without a diagnosis, are you always confident? Are you always, you know, telling the truth in social situations or sometimes you exaggerate things? Do you just say things, you know, do the chameleon effect to sort of just fit in with whoever you're with so you don't create conflicts? Yeah, I think absolutely everyone does that. And I think sometimes, sure, it definitely is easier just because we don't, you know, I think we're already going through a lot of hoops to have to explain ourselves if this is, you know, why are you going to this room to take the test and not with us in the classroom? Or why are you sitting on this type of chair? You know, and I think, um, ab- you know, absolutely. And I, and I think too, is just that that's human nature of people mask all the time, whether it's, you have a diagnosis or not. And I think that certainly it can serve you, but I think there's, you know, a fine line to draw where we want to also stay with our authentic selves as much as possible. Um, but like, I'm not the same at, you know, in every single environment in my life, I'm different, but I am still Mallory. I am still me, but it might be a different sort of shade or hue, depending on who I'm with, who I'm comfortable with, what we're doing. I, I, yeah, of course. Authenticity, authenticity, I think it really hits hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And and of course, it's a little bit of a leading question because it it takes us right back to a conversation we had a couple of weeks ago with Casey Dixon around burnout. And I, I think it's important at least to acknowledge that, you know, there there might be utility and protection to masking. And there also might be uh, a path directly back to uh, that sort of low motivation and exhaustion that you talk specifically about in one of your follow up articles and attitude link in the show notes. Uh, I was insecure about what people thought about me and my work ethic. So I felt like I had to say yes to everyone and everything that only led to burnout, low motivation and exhaustion. I, I think that's a really uh, a, a, an important leading factor, right? The a leading indicator that you're that something is has come off the tracks that you know you're you're feeling this intensely and this intensity inside that you can't function at a level that you're accustomed to am i am i saying that right absolutely and i think you know i think that that's why it's so important to always sort of keep track internally of the progress you've made as an individual, because I think we know it's not going to be linear. It's not going to be, oh, I did X, Y, and Z on Monday, X, Y, and Z on Tuesday. No, some days you're going to feel like I didn't do anything productive. You could go fishing and find something in there to grab out and and say, yes, I did this. Um, But I think really just understanding that you have to have different expectations for yourself every single day on the daily your success is going to look different and that's okay. That's been really helpful for me in terms of slowing down. I'm not physically hyperactive, but mentally, ooh, I've got you. I feel like I've got anyone beat. I'm like on a wheel moving at a million miles per hour and it's exhausting. And I think part of the reason why I've been so intensely trying to work on, you know, getting imposter syndrome, you know, kicking it to the curb and working on acknowledging, you know, that feedback is hard, that it's uncomfortable. Um, because it's it's too exhausting to to continue to live like this. And I've really explicitly been trying to set more boundaries. And I think, yes, it's uncomfortable for me, but I think for other people, it's uncomfortable for them. And someone even said to me recently of you've been acting really weird lately. And that really felt, uh, that did not feel good. But what it was is, you're not doing what I want. I didn't acknowledge that you were actually setting a boundary for yourself to protect your mental health and yourself. But it's okay if you make people feel 
whatever you're doing. I know I'm not being rude. You know, I, I'm allowed to say, no, I can't do that at this moment. I've got too much stuff going on in life. And that is so uncomfortable for me because like I've said, I am a, well, I'm trying to be a recovering people pleaser. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I have to, it's not selfish to put yourself first. If you can't take care of yourself, then you're certainly not going to be able to take care of others. And in being in a line of work where that's all you do, advocating for every single person and family that you're working with, um, then you're not going to be, be able to do the best job. And that's not fair for, you know, to provide these services if you're not doing 100% of what you say you're going to do. And, and that's certainly not something I feel comfortable of coming up short for people. So I think um, it's super uncomfortable, but to set boundaries, but I think that's where the consistency compounds. Eventually the person's going to understand, okay, well, that's not weird. It's just that she's creating. And if they don't understand, that's okay too. I'm not, you don't want to do the work for him anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, that's really, that's a really great point. And, you know, we talk all the time about how it's important to take ownership of your feelings and and be aware of your feelings. But you said something that really triggered uh, me positively, that if I'm going to be owning my feelings, they have to own theirs too. I'm not making them feel any way one way or the other. I'm just living in a way that that is keeping myself sort of authentic and healthy and and protected. And if they feel bad, they get to own that, right? I'm if I'm not acting maliciously or vindictively, they get to own how they feel. They can't saddle me with that. That's not I don't own that. And I think like part of the imposter syndrome, and this is something even like I've been trying to, you know, figure out in therapy too, is that my therapist literally, you know, had said like, you are not in control of trying to fix everybody and everything. So I think owning that I am not in control of other people's feelings and how other people's actions that has really taken a weight off of my back. Yes, I still do feel nervous that someone will feel or react in a certain way that might make me feel guilty or make me feel something, you know, with a negative connotation, but, but really trying to put that into practice of the only person I'm in control of is myself and letting relinquishing control. I cannot control other adults. So like, that's that. Yeah. I, that was one of the earliest lessons of my, my therapy career. Uh, I think I was 15 and my, uh, my therapist looked at me and said, Hey man, your power ends with your skin. Like if you can't touch it, you can't control it. Don't try to control someone else's thoughts. Don't try to control someone else's moods or behaviors work on yourself. And that has been a, that's been a a mantra for me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Good stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, Mallory, this is fantastic. We so appreciate you. Appreciate your contributions uh, to Attitude. These are great resources living on the website, but I know you have some other stuff to talk about. What else are you up to? You're working on a book. You've got so much going on. I'm, you know, yeah, I'm sort of working on a book. Um, It's sort of just started off with, uh, doing a brain dump and it turned into somewhat of a, a book. Um, and now I'm sort of doing the backward pro- backwards process of, okay, now I have something written. Um, so don't, you know, necessarily have a publisher or have decided if I'm going to go with a publisher or self-publishing, but um, I'm really excited about it because I think, um, you know, the, the primary audience is really, instead of parents, it's actually for teens and young adults themselves. It can absolutely serve parents of um, who have children with ADHD or anxiety, but, but essentially it's, you know, a compilation of stories about my life and how sort of I've 
you know, dealt with anxiety and ADHD. And it's funny, it's sad, it's jarring. And I think really, ultimately, I just want to provide people sort of with an understanding that you're not alone, you're never alone. And we don't, you know, we don't know each other, like whoever's reading this book, but I, you know, I hope that I can provide some semblance of community and connection because I think that's really, that's powerful and that can, can go a long way. And that's sort of something I was wishing sort of missing when I was younger, just wanting to know other people are having these struggles and they are still successful. So you will be successful no matter what, um, even if you have some of these challenges, um, there are workarounds. They don't go away, but we learn how to cope with them. So hopefully 2023, you'll see my name out there. Um, and well, and, and yeah. we're going to have you back and celebrate that. Yeah. Yes, and and sure. what a great message, especially for that age group, because they need to hear it. They need to be connected and know that, that there are people, um, that are like them and have succeeded and have done really well and that they have so much opportunity because they're getting some negative messages and and being able to to turn that around is is a great thing that you're doing valerie thank you so so much for uh joining us for being with us on the show this week and uh it's just great to meet you and glad to have you in our in our community as well glad to be in your orbit thank you so much for having me it was a great conversation And thank you, everyone else, for downloading and listening to this show. Thank you for your time and your attention. Don't forget, if you have something to contribute to the conversation, we're heading over to the Show Talk channel in our Discord server, and you can join us right there by becoming a supporting member at the deluxe level or better. On behalf of Mallory Ban and Nikki Kinzer, I am still Pete Wright, and I'll see you right back here next week on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. (music) 